0: At first, it was just one sheep per day, but as the deadly dragon grew more powerful, he demanded more and more. Soon it was the people of Silene themselves, so intense was his insatiable hunger, his desperate desire for more and more, until... Until one day, a courageous knight named George agrees to confront the dragon. After a long and bloody battle, George finally defeats the cruel beast, saves the princess, and rescues the town. With what weapon did George slay the dragon? A spear? A lance? A sword? Maybe, just maybe, the dragon was slain by love. Welcome to Slain by Love, your weekly sermon podcast from the pulpit of St. George's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas.
1: Gather before me my loyal followers, those who have made a covenant with me and sealed it with sacrifice. In the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. Please be seated and good morning. On a website recently, on a website that was dedicated to the Scottish Highlands, I read an interesting piece. The website dedicated to the Scottish Highlands said this, it is not often that fairies kidnap a minister. or or that thereafter said minister is regarded as being in perpetual charge of his parish since he may return from fairyland at any moment. But that fate has befallen Robert Kirk, 1644 to 1692. He was the seventh son of James Kirk, a minister of Aberfoyle. In June of 1685, he was appointed to his father's old charge at, Abbey Fo- at Aberfoyle. In both parishes, he studied his parishioners' beliefs, especially beliefs about fairies, close quote. Reverend Kirk went on to publish an interesting little book about his parishioners' beliefs, specifically their very real belief in Fairies, the title of the book, The Secret Commonwealth of Elves, Fauns, and Fairies. Oh, a copy of which I just happen to have right here. The most arresting feature of the book is the plain, straightforward seriousness with which the author uh, describes the fairies. To his mind, the fairies of the Scottish Highland are no mere mythological fantasies. They are as real as the nose on your face, indeed, as real as the nose on my face, even if if less conspicuous. Now, why am I talking about fairies this morning on this Transfiguration Sunday? Here's why. I've never understood why Transfiguration occurs right before Lent. Have you have you ever thought about that? I've never understood why it comes right before the beginning of Lent. Why does transfiguration come right before Ash Wednesday? I've never understood that until now. I've never understood that, or at least I felt like I have not, until this week. You know what helped me figure it out? You know what uh, prompted an epiphany, pun intended, in my mind? Fairies. Fairies, those luminous, mythological creatures, those supernatural beings called fairies. Now, in our story this morning from Mark chapter 9, what happens? It says that after, a G, after Jesus had ascended a high mountain, he was transfigured and his clothing became as bright white, dazzling white. And even though Mark omits, even though Mark leaves out that little detail that Matthew includes about Jesus' face, which is a detail, by the way, that our collect reminds us of when it speaks of the light of his countenance, countenance slash face, even though Mark leaves out that little detail about the face, the point is clear. Jesus is on the top of this mountain, and he has become luminous. Picture it. Here's Jesus walking down the road with his disciples. All of a sudden, he veers off to the side, and he begins to climb up a mountain. Suddenly, his disciples look up, and they see his face shining with blazing light, and his clothes shining luminously. What are we to make of this strange story? It has something to do, I would argue. it has something to do with fairies. This last Saturday, eight days ago, Bocan and I went on a little date. It was a walking date, and we took the long route the long route from our house around the beautiful paths, the beautiful trails of Mueller. We probably walked about five miles that day. and as we walked, I read aloud to her from my iPhone. I read aloud, C.S. Lewis's essay, The Weight of Glory. And in it, C.S. Lewis says this, quote, I turn to the idea of glory. There is no getting around the fact that this idea is very prominent in the New Testament and in the early Christian writings. Salvation is associated with splendor, like the sun and the stars. Glory as brightness and luminosity. We are to shine, C.S. Lewis says. We are to shine like the sun. We want so much. The poets and the mythologies know all about it. We do not merely want to see beauty. We want something which can hardly be put into words. We want to be united to beauty, to pass into it, to receive it into ourselves, to become part of it. That is why we have peopled the air, the earth, the water with gods and goddesses and nymphs and fauns and fairies. But this has not happened yet. For if we take the imagery of Scripture seriously, if we believe that God will one day give us the morning star and cause us to put on the splendor of the sun, then then we may surmise that the ancient myths may be very true as prophecy, close quote. Do you see what he's saying? It's perfect for the Feast of Transfiguration, Do you see what he's saying? He's saying that one day you and I will become so glorious that we will shine like gods with the luminous energy of the sun and the stars. We will shine like fairies. We will be like miniature gods. It is what in the Eastern Orthodox tradition they call deification, but it's deep within our Anglican tradition as well. We will become miniature gods. We ourselves will be transfigured. One day, think about it on this day of transfiguration, this day of transformation. Just think about it. One day we will shine like stars. We will not see the beautiful light show, we will be the beautiful light show. We will be like the angels in heaven, Matthew twenty-two thirty. 30. We will be glorious. We will be like fairies, glowing, shining with supernatural light. So, high five to C.S. Lewis. And yet, and yet, I think that he's forgetting something. See, it's not just that we will shine. All of this stuff is not just a prophecy like he says. It's not just that we will shine like the stars or angels. It's not just that we will. The truth is, one of us already has. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. One of our forefathers has already become luminous and shone like the sun, when did he light up and become glorious? When did he put on divine nature? When when was his divine nature put on full display? When was that? When did that happen? That's kind of a trick question. Because you see, it happened twice. It happened fully and finally after Lent. It happened fully and finally on Easter. Resurrection, but it also happened before that. It happened in a preliminary way, in a foreshadowing way on the Mount of Transfiguration. See, Lent is bookended. Lent is bookended by two great lights, two great glories. On one side of Lent, you have Resurrection slash Easter, but on the other side, you have Transfiguration. Transfiguration foreshadows Easter. Would you like to experience transformation? Would you like to experience transfiguration? Would you like to become glorious? How can we achieve that? How can we become glorious? How can we enter into the Zoe life of God, the indestructible life of God? The answer is Lent. Lent is our roadmap to Easter, to glory, to resurrection, and that is why transfiguration comes right before Lent. It's as if we are beginning with the end in mind. It's a preview of Easter. It is a preview of glory. That's what we're doing on this Transfiguration Sunday. We're beginning with the end in mind. What is the end? Easter, resurrection, bodies and lives that pulse and pulsate with the life, the love, the energy of God. That is the end. But today on Transfiguration Sunday, we begin with the end. In mind, we begin with a preview, a preliminary glimpse of our destiny, our glorious future of resurrection life. How can we get there? How can we become glorious? How can our lives be transfigured? I want to return one more time to Lewis's essay, The Weight of Glory, because there he uses a phrase that captivates me. It's a Latin phrase, sorry, it's a Latin phrase, torrent volu- voluptatis, torrent voluptatis. Torrent's river, voluptatis, like uh, voluptuousness, pleasure. Torrent voluptatis, a river of delight. C.S. Lewis speaks of this river of delight. It comes from uh, Psalm 36.8, which says this, they feast. On the abundance of your house, you give them drink from the river of your delights." Lewis elaborates on this river of delights in the essay. He says this, quote, "...at present, the body receives life from God at a thousand removes. Through our ancestors, through our food, through the elements, the faint, far-off results of those energies which God's creative rapture implanted in matter when he made the world are what we now call physical pleasures. And even thus filtered, they are still too much for our present management. Hmm. Physical pleasures that are too much for our present management. That sounds kind of like the point of Lent to me. Question, what are these physical pleasures? What are they? Their food, their drink, sex, sleep, chemical stimulants. Next question, are these pleasures bad? I think a lot of people sort of assume that that's what we do in Lent. We're giving up sins, we're giving up bad stuff. We do not give up sins in Lent. Christians give up sins all the time. That's kind of the whole point. In Lent, we don't give up sins. We don't give up bad stuff. We give up good stuff, weirdly, paradoxically. So are these things bad? These pleasures, are they bad? Well, I will answer that question with another question. Did God make them? Yes, God made them. So these pleasures are necessarily good. Cantaloupe is good. Chocolate is good. Steak and pizza are good. Beer and wine and bourbon are good. Marijuana is good. Sex is good. Afternoon naps are good. Caffeine is good. Everything that God made is good which is why in that creation story of ours Genesis 1 after each day day 1 day 2 day 3 etc after every day it says the same thing over and over this beautiful refrain it was good and God saw that it was good it was good it was good so do you see everything that God made is good from cantaloupe to caffeine to everything in between and more can these things be abused Yes. Is it almost impossible for us to enjoy these things in moderation in a way that's faithful to God? Yes. Are some of these things illegal? Yes. Does that matter? Yes. (laughs) Is all of this really complicated? Yes. Complicated and convicting. Complicated and convicting. You see, it is not just those of us in the room who are addicts who tend to take these good things of God and turn them into ultimate things. No, it's not just the addicts in the room who do that. We all tend to do this at one time or another. It is our tendency, everyone in the room, we are all in need of Lent. What is Lent about? It is about this Torrens voluptatis. It is about admitting that the stuff of this world that God made is good, but I am weak. They're good these wonderful gifts that God made, but I am not very good at managing them. So in Lent, we take up our cross to quote the Collect for today. In Lent, we seal our covenant with sacrifice to quote the Psalm today. In Lent, we say no to these gifts of pleasure in order to strengthen our ability to say yes to God. In Lent, we strive to say yes to God, to the giver of the gifts, by saying no to the gifts themselves. No to chocolate. No to sex. No to bourbon. But actually, we're not saying no. We're saying not now. We're saying not yet. Why do we say not yet? Because it is we ourselves who are not yet. We are not yet what we one day will be. We are not yet luminous. We are not yet glorious. We are not yet fairies. We are not yet transfigured. We aren't, but he is. He was and he is. We aren't, but one day we will be. This day, we begin with the end in mind. Happy Transfiguration Sunday. In the name of the living God, Father, Son, and
0: Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for joining us at the pulpit of St. George's Austin, where the love of God in Christ slays our enemies, our fears, our guilt, our worries. How are they slain? Only by love. Special thanks to the good folks of St. George's and especially to that masterful media guru, Liam Dolan Henderson, See you next week. Peace and be well.